0: Um, all right, seriously, though, how do we start these things?
1: Um, we start them by saying hello to one another.
0: Hello, one another.
1: Hello, one another.
0: I am starving. You are? Yep.
1: You haven't eaten lunch yet, Guy?
0: No, well, we scheduled this during lunchtime, so here we are.
1: That's right. I did schedule it during lunchtime. Oopsies. Yeah, I missed my lunch, too, but I had a late breakfast.
0: Oh, what did you have for breakfast?
1: I had a yummy breakfast sandwich from a local burger place that does breakfast sammies in the morning. It was delightful.
0: Mm, that sounds delightful.
1: Yes. And for lunch, I'm going to have some leftover Indian food that I didn't finish yesterday.
0: <laughs> what dish?
1: Butter chicken and mild chicken with uh, chicken biryani rice. Yeah. So, Yeah. What are you going to have for lunch now that it's Late. I
0: don't know. I've got i uh, I'm maybe sushi today, I don't know. But now after well, people don't realize this, but we've already recorded with our guests, so now I've got tacos on the mind.
1: Mm, you do sound a little bit hangry.
0: Good. Yes. I was actually <laughs> hoping that our guest was gonna come in hangry, but alas he did not.
1: That is a weird request to make, but uh <laughs> not surprised. Welcome anyway. to Lunch
0: Hour Legal Marketing.
1: Welcome. So there was a there was a thing you wanted to talk about for a minute or two here. And I believe that thing is the singularity.
0: Kelly, have you ever wondered what it would be like if there was superhuman intelligence that collectively was more intelligent than all of humankind put together?
1: Uh, Yes, I have wondered about that. I also do sometimes wonder if we're actually living in the matrix, a la Tesla founder Elon Musk's idea that we are potentially living in the matrix.
0: Well, I'm really glad you brought that up. I was going to ask you a question that I think I've asked you before.
1: Okay, what's that question?
0: Do you care whether or not the stake is real?
1: Ah, you have asked me this before. Since I just rewatched The Matrix last week, I now remember this scene and I don't care. Okay. I really don't. All right. Do you care? Do you care whether the steak is real?
0: I do. It's there's something weird about it. I don't know what it is, but I'm I care. I'm like and even if I knew, if I'm like we're sitting in there, we've been out of the Matrix, we go back in the Matrix and I'm like the real world is horrible i'd rather be in the real world i don't know i guess yeah. I'm a masochist
1: i think i mean i think that is the key for me is that like if this is a simulation it kind of sucks
0: <laughs> right good job machines
1: <laughs> yeah oh garbage in garbage out as our oh, guest will say well oh. done
0: great reference <laughs>
1: Thank you speaking of garbage in, garbage out. That is not what you're going to get from our guest today. He was awesome.
0: He really was. You're in for a treat, listeners. So strap in for lunch hour legal marketing. Money makes a go round. It
2: makes a go round. Money makes a go round. Welcome go round. to lunch hour legal marketing with your hosts. Key Sakalakis and Kelly Street teaching you how to promote, market, and make fat stacks for your legal practice here on Legal Talk Network.
1: All right, Gee, let's get this lunch hour legal party started. Yes. Yes, that was not as enthusiastic as it really should have been. Well,
0: you know, in our pre, when we first got it on the line, I was really enthusiastic, and so I think I like let it all out. So I'm gonna have to drink some more coffee.
1: Yes, get pumped up again. I'm You're pumped. right. I, Let's do I this. did. I did tell you that you were a little too loud, and it hurt my ears. So I know. I I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, audience. Get get pumped up again because all we right. are ready to talk it. to Thomas Hamilton. Woo! There
0: we go. That's what we <laughs> needed to kick this off. I have an entire cup of
3: coffee that I'm getting through right now. So I'll send some energy your way.
0: Let's just pound coffee up for 45 <laughs> minutes.
1: Perfect. Perfect. I've got my kombucha here, which does have caffeine in it. So I will I will be raising my caffeine levels with that. No, no nobody else does kombucha mm. in this group. Mm. <laughs> I don't. Anyway, hello, Thomas Hamilton. <laughs> hello. How are you doing today?
3: I'm doing great. Like I said, I'm I'm getting caffeinated over here. I do not drink kombucha. I am based in San Francisco. So that makes that sort of like a a testy subject. Um, but <laughs> I, for one, am not currently on the kombucha train. Have been in the past, may return at some time, but right now I'm kicking old school with some coffee. But I do have almond milk, not normal milk inside of it.
1: There you go. Um, so at least you're doing something a little bit San Francisco-y. <laughs> exactly. So Thomas, will you tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself, kind of your your brief bio of how you got to where you're at now?
3: Yeah, sure thing. Okay. Let me... Where do I start? All right. Well, I'm a, I'm a former attorney. Um, I was with... When my career... This sounds dramatic. When my career ended. Um, when, I, when I left practice, I was with uh, Denton's, which is still... The, the, largest, uh, the largest law firm in the world, multinational, they're in basically every country at this point. When I started my practice, though, I was actually hired into a substantially smaller firm that was one of the, the first few founding firms that created Dentons, which then probably increased like fourfold uh, from there. So I was doing corporate commercial law, um, had a number of, of uh, different clients, I was touching on a few different things. One of the areas I was involved in, though, was, was tech law. And it just so happened I was in Toronto, and this is back in uh, in 2015, and Toronto at that time was going through the beginning of a a really incredible sort of explosion of new artificial intelligence companies that all had essentially come out of AI research projects uh, at a few key Canadian schools that for... A number of reasons that I won't go into now because it it takes a while, but basically there was a few Canadian universities that had been able to attract and then keep some really fantastic AI talent that now kind of heads up AI departments at a lot of Silicon Valley's major companies. So being an attorney, doing a lot of work with tech clients in Toronto at that time, I was exposed to this, this cool, very new AI ecosystem kind of kept my ear to the ground and uh, was, was meeting with a lot of different companies in the space. One of them ended up being Ross Intelligence, which is where I currently work. Uh, their goal was to use breakthroughs in artificial intelligence, specifically something called natural language processing, which is the ability to ask a software system complex questions, like you'd ask it to another human expert and then have that software system give you really good on-point results. They were playing around with it. They were based in legal research, which I was spending a fair amount of my time at the time doing for some of the partners I worked for. So I understood sort of the pain point. I got what the product was trying to do. I was at a firm that was really experimenting with overhauling their, their business practices and their operations because they we're going through these series of many, many mergers in a row. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, about 12 months later, Ross Intelligence moves down to Silicon Valley. I had an opportunity for a sabbatical. I came down, swung by their office a few times, fell in love with the project, and uh, have ended up actually being in Silicon Valley ever since, so that's where I came down here. Now, I split my time between our Toronto office and our Silicon Valley office, although I'm in the East Coast of Fairmont as well. Basically, my job as the first employee is speaking to folks everywhere, anywhere, uh, about what the company does, but also, I think more interestingly for, for this call and this conversation, what's happening in AI, how is it already changing law firms, how will it continue to change law firms and really kind of demystifying a lot of the mysteries around artificial intelligence as an attorney who when I you know did my career change, I really didn't know that, that much about it. So I like to sort of just jump on these calls and, and like I said, demystify some of the misconceptions about AI and, and explain how we already use it in our everyday lives.
0: Yes, this is going to be very fun. So <laughs> let's start with, we're going to build on this, but we're going to start with, I have no idea what AI is. I've seen some movies. Oh boy. I, I heard it's going to take over and replace us, like Ray Kurzweil, like Singularity stuff. Yep. So let's hear from a human intelligence. What are we talking about here with AI as it pertains to well let's just start in general let's get let's get it all out there so that we can break it down into different versions of ai but tell us about ai
3: yeah okay so let's let's start from like general principles so
2: yes basically
3: ai yeah, we'll, we'll do the lawyer the lawyer uh, philosophy nerd thing here at
0: we knew we were technology. the right person for this podcast <laughs> thank you
3: you're putting a lot of pressure on me g um <laughs> So, so the way it was explained to me when I first you know, walked in the door, fresh, literally you know, two days prior, had had been at my firm. So I just started my sabbatical. Artificial intelligence the way was explained to me by the AI researchers that founded the company. Is It's software that can perform a task, which we thought only a human could perform now.
1: Oh, that's perfect. It makes
0: sense to me.
3: It's simple. It is elegantly simple, but it is sort of deceptively unpackable. Because what <laughs> we thought a hu- only a human could do is a moving target, both within our lifetime, but very much so from generation to generation. So, spoiler
0: the- alert: we're not that special.
3: <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and and it, it's it's a double spoiler of what you think is special about you and defines you is not what your grandchildren will think is special about them and defines them. In the same way that you know, before the development of like the automobile or before the industrial revolution, there was tasks that only a human could do that machines were then created that, that could sort of first aid them and then outperform them in. That didn't mean the end of jobs. That didn't mean the end of humans or communities, but it, it shifted our conception of like what makes us special. And so AI, the example I like to use often when I'm speaking on this is because it's, it's it cues up with like my aha moment was you, you look at something like Siri or also vision recognition systems. So I remember, I don't know if, if you, any of you saw the movie, there's a movie called Minority Report with Tom Cruise. Yes. Right? Great movie. Precogs. I think it was, and it was, was it like Isaac Asimov or, or someone maybe wrote a book originally that was called Minority Report? I'm not was sure. It? I thought
0: Asimov was the uh, I lawyer one. I don't know. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know who wrote it Minority Report. But anyway, sorry. So
3: like, it was this example of, I remember seeing it, you know, it was this cool action movie, this sort of this philosophical component, right? The precogs and everything. But like one of the, the the craziest parts was that he's sort of walking around like, I don't know, future LA or future New York, right. or Neo Tokyo and like machines keep recognizing his face, right? And yep. like the idea that that was so far in the future that it synced up with a future where like we can psionically predict the future, that seemed like a totally reasonable correlation to me. Whereas now, like, if you buy a new iPhone, it can recognize your face very, very well, right? So that's one of those examples or Siri before that, where the concept of speech recognition or vision recognition systems performing at the 2019 level, when I was growing up, was literally science fiction. It was something you saw in a cool movie. And, you know, I I have two nephews, and I guarantee you, like, by the time they're, you know, six or seven years old, and they hear me talking to my brother-in-law, my sister about this, they're going to be rolling their eyes. And they're saying, "Like it's so boring that you think it's cool that I can talk to my phone. Obviously, I can talk to my phone. So that's one of those fun examples of how AI is, is always a moving target and, and kind of evolves and means different things generationally.
0: This is great.
1: Yeah. Okay. So... Man, I'm just okay. All right. I'm getting my head around this. I'm trying to trying to wrap it all up in a in a tidy little bow. So, when I think the first thing since this is about client development and marketing our lunch hour legal marketing show. So there's AI how are law firms using it? Obviously, with Ross Intelligence, you you guys are doing this for legal research. What are the other ways? How is AI infiltrating law firms?
3: So I think that's a really interesting question. And I think, you know, conceptually for me, I had to break down my understanding of what AI was doing into the different types of law firms. And so, you know, you always bring your own bias based on what your background is. So for me, a lot of my friends initially were, were starting at large law firms. And so that's the bias I brought in. Large law firms benefited earlier from AI than small law firms because they had the budget, because AI systems used to be very expensive. Uh, and B, because they had a team of technologists, full-time technologists, so chief information officers, you know, uh, litigation practice support people, IT people, who were going to the conferences, who were reading up on this stuff 10 years ago. Smaller law firms are a bit newer to the party, but one of the sort of the general like truisms you'll hear about AI and and not just in legal. This is played out everywhere. Is that generally speaking, AI is a is a it levels the playing field for different businesses because in providing you a software that does something that you used to need a human to do, a much smaller team can compete against a much larger team. And generally, that's one of the biggest difference between law firms. It's really just a function of the, the total number of lawyers. So I would say big law firms, the first stuff they moved into was expert systems and then sort of playing around a little bit with, with kind of like e-discovery and contract analysis, but bespoke systems. So expensive, upfront to pay for, and then really expensive and time-intensive to build out. Like it was, it, you couldn't just unpack the software. You had to kind of build it yourself and train it yourself. Um, the second wave, which, which we're a part of, is systems that are kind of plug and play, right, outside of the box. And those touch on really anything a law firm does that any other business does. So, like, I'll give you a couple, a couple of simple examples. Uh, email marketing automation systems, uh, email auto-completion systems, advanced CRM, so customer resource management systems, that can basically start finding like, correlations between different groups of customers you have, things as practical as basically AI receptionists or AI assistants for scheduling, uh, for even client intake, something like smith.ai that does an incredible job with that. So it, it really runs the gamut. And then of course, legal research on, on our end, but it's some of it is legal specific, but to be honest, most of it, and what, this is really cool because this is unusual for law as a, as a vertical, most of it is just Good AI tech that's easy to use, that's affordable, that you can trial for free, that just helps you run like a small business better. And it helps a law firm in the same way that my parents, when they were working out of our home as consultants, you know, they would have benefited from the exact same technology.
1: Got it. Okay. I like that because that was my my next my follow up was you know you've got these different ai things how do you market that as a service like or does it even make sense to market that you're using ai for different things to potential clients cuz what is a potential client going to get out of the fact that you're using AI but I think that putting it in that context it makes sense because you as you said you have access to things that larger law firms or more money power manpower would have now using these different tools
3: yeah you know I, I think the way that the way that I wrap my head around it was so there was all this research going on for for decades about what AI could do theoretically and then sort of in the last like 10 years computers and data sets have caught up which means that now those theories can go into practice so about five years ago you had the beginning of these theories being able to be like proven out in the real world but it was it wasn't mainstream yet people didn't know about them and there was a lot of hype about ai Uh, and that's that's right around when we started and, and we we experienced that ourselves i think when you fast forward to 2019 most applications of AI are generally like you can just interpret as much better software, a much better version of software you already use that can start to perform very specific tasks really, really well. But but they're good at one or two things. And so that's why I say it's almost just like a second software revolution. And I think in terms of marketing that to your clients, in a lot of ways, because these AI tools just help your business run more efficiently and in many different narrow ways, like helping you with scheduling, right? Or helping you with client intake or helping you uh, have really fantastic nurture campaigns to different demographics on a, a cool newsletter you write on immigration law. I think that all the client sees is like, wow, I like my law firm more. You know, wow, uh, Kelly is such an attentive lawyer. And that's almost a proof that it works is that behind the scenes, there's a lot of extraordinarily complex algorithms at play. But like, for the client, it's often fairly simple. And I think even when you go into something more legal specific, like legal research, the tools that are created now, the the beauty of them is that they're built around modern design methodology. So the companies building them, while the technology is only for lawyers to use, the companies building this tech in 2019 are like, they're made of You know, world-leading machine learning scientists, but also incredible designers, incredible customer success people, uh, fantastic product owners. And they all come from very rich backgrounds in tech and other fields. And their whole thing, almost like Steve Jobs did with Apple, really their their art or their magic is making incredibly powerful software that's really easy for a lawyer to use. So sometimes the client and even the lawyer themselves doesn't fully see it right off the
0: bat. Right. So, now we've got a. You've helped us understand, at least the starting point of what AI is and how it's impacting, um, at least some practices today. So now I'm a lawyer. I've heard this, and now the fear sets in, because I hear you say efficiency. I hear, well, I spend my day doing e-discovery, or I spend my day doing legal research. Uh, talk to us about. How or, or you know maybe you say justified fear because maybe you think there's going to be massive consolidation in legal. But tell us, tell listeners who are lawyers who hear about this AI stuff and start going down the fear train about how it's taking their job and it's the end of lawyers. We got to at least mention that, or else people are going to say, "Well, you never talked about how it's going to replace us."
3: Yeah, so I, I would say that all the technology, all the AI technology currently available. No, I'm going to take that back. The best AI technology available, even the the, the most incredible stuff out there for lawyers right now, can't replace you whatsoever. It can help you do specific tasks much better. And that can sound scary. It sounds scary to me when I first heard about it. But think back 10 years, think back 20 years. There's been multiple times where new software has come out or new technologies come out that has dramatically increased efficiency. So like I, I, I would posit that the arrival of email was a much bigger game changer, much faster than some of the AI tech we're seeing in terms of the speed with which you can communicate, A, between two different lawyers, B, between your, your client uh, and yourself, the arrival of the internet generally, even the arrival of cheap personal computing. All these things were, were major changes and huge efficiency improvements on what a lawyer did. But the core of what a lawyer does in, in terms of a professional, like, like you know, a, an architect, an engineer is basically applying very complex abstract problem solving to a, a number of different issues. That's never going to go away. But look, at the same time, there's some tasks that if, if you're used to spending In the 80s, if your firm purely did discovery, you ran your own firm, you're a sole practitioner, you only do discovery, you have a thriving practice. When e-discovery came out, you could not run the the same old business model. Now, you could change your business model and apply all that old experience to discovery using e-discovery, but there are some things that evolve, but that's, at the end of the day, that's always been the case in law. I think when you look at something like, like legal research, part of what attracted us to it especially because a number of us were, were former attorneys, was that we knew that there's been a trend going on for years and years where legal research used to be something you could always bill for. And that's that's harder and harder to do. And in fact, in some practice areas, you don't even try and bill your client for it. You've just completely moved to fixed fee. That's typically where we see the fastest adoption of our tool, both proficiency gains, but also because it increases the accuracy of what you do. But there's no question that there's going to be change uh, e-discovery was the first kind of big wave of it, um, and that'll continue, but that's that's nothing new in law, and I think that small and mid-sized firms, like I was saying, they stand to benefit the most from AI. AI, across every industry, you see it again and again, it's, it's a great equalizer, and especially the more entrepreneurial firms that jump to it first are, are really going to see huge, huge gains, and as students graduate from law schools, something that that we've seen a a sea change in, it's been really incredible to see over the last four years since we started out is law schools themselves are starting to push this technological competency. Bar associations are as well. Even just look at ABA model Rule 1.1. But what that means is that the new generation of lawyers that's graduating is already going to be trained on a lot of legal technology out there that didn't used to be expected as mandatory to use. And that means the, the profession is evolving in line with the institutions that create those professionals
0: right very well said very well handled i'm in very much alignment in that and i think the other thing too is we and we touched on this before but uh when we were talking about some of the ways that it impacts uh client development you know clients are wising up right so yeah they expect you to be using this stuff that helps you have efficiency gains it's a competitive advantage um like you said i think it's going to impact Uh, the way people deliver legal services and and the business model in general. Uh, And then there's a bunch of other ways that don't relate to actually just communicating to clients about the competitive advantages of using AI. And I think you touched on this a little bit too, but it's going to help you identify new segments of your customer base through CRM uh, data. It's going to help you if you're advertising online, it's obviously already impacting programmatic bidding. And so, and obviously search engines are using this stuff. So at a very minimum level, we can say that both in terms of the competitive advantage that's facing your next clients, as well as uh, how you're actually understanding who your audience is, who are your most profitable clients, AI is going to play a big role in, in the client development aspect of the practice on both of the, at least both of those instances.
3: Yeah. And, you know, something, something I'd add on that is that in in many ways, so most of the legal technology that's coming out right now is it's for lawyers to use, right? So it's like, it's business to business, but there is also a a part of the industry, which is consumer facing. It doesn't get as much press, but like a very simple example would be like the law store through Walmart, right? Where they're selling consumer facing legal services, but down the line, they're going to increasingly bring more technology to play there. And the best example is is Google. In a lot of ways, the technology available for the consumer of legal services has advanced faster than for the provider of legal services. So like something that that we hear all the time that really resonates with with folks that use our technology is they say, look, before before Google, a client could call me with a legal research question, or a client could come into my office legal research question, and they would know very little about it. I really had access to the information. I had the training. I had the JD on the wall. But with Google, it takes 30 seconds for a client to type in their question to Google first and then call you as the lawyer. And, and your job is to be that trusted advisor. And they already actually know more than you because the consumer-facing side of legal has advanced faster than the like business-facing. And so I think what what we see playing out now is that it's almost like these AI companies are now addressing the need that lawyers have because clients are more and more savvy in their consumption of legal services. And so now lawyers almost want that same level of ease of use, that same power, but the ability to bring all their, their knowledge and training to bear. And that's what you see in the creation of these AI systems that just like the, the client's expectations have leveled up, lawyers are now able to level up what they can provide immediately following a client consultation or even even with the client still in your office you're able to jump on the software and provide much more value much faster which is how you win new clients and keep your current clients happy
0: love it bravo yes
1: yes so I have another kind of fear that I want to bring up or something that I sure. hear. And this is with all new or emerging technologies that people felt this way about email too. And to some degree, maybe should about people reading their emails or who's reading their emails, but um, is the ethical concerns of AI in regard to legal. So there are, you know, different AI technologies that there's one that I heard about where it's a new company that reads your case documents. And if there are dates, if there are uh, reminders that need to happen in those documents, they will put them on your calendar or just kind of like, hey, check in about this again, that sort of thing. And I know there are some ethical concerns about that and sort of the like, oh, what, you know, it's not the lawyer that's reading this document. So how do you how would you respond about what are ethics around using this new technology of AI?
3: So, you know, we get asked about this a lot and and the dialogue is I I think evolved quite a bit and and matured as well over the last 4 years. I think the the way I'm going to try like a new metaphor here because it yes. kind of just occurred to me and then and then <laughs> we can unpack it, but I would say AI and the ethical issues around AI are like It's like when I was a summer student at my law firm. So a lawyer at the law firm was ultimately responsible for any work that they gave to a client. And that means that if they had me do something as a summer student and then just sent it blindly to a client, and then there was issues that was bad and that would reflect on the lawyers and people would, would question that lawyer's judgment. Right. But at the same time, if there was a client matter that required 40 hours or 80 hours of like totally down the rabbit hole I got my earphones in no one's allowed to come into my office total concentration work and there's no conceivable way with that lawyer's workload that they could ever like in the next 10 years carve out 80 hours back to back to do that super intensive kneel in the haystack search Well, if that lawyer did not farm that work out to me as a summer associate, to put in that first 80 hours, to then put something in a nice package, leave it on their desk in, you know, in duplicate, highlighted up, tabbed perfectly, that then they could spend time on reviewing. And in spending the hour and a half they had available, you know, really help their client. Well, similarly, that lawyer's judgment we called into question, if they literally refuse to use the summer associate who's the only person with that 80 hour capacity. And I would say that that's probably a good way to think about the ethical considerations around AI because passing off all responsibility to AI is totally unacceptable, but refusing to use AI and in doing so, doing a worse job than you could have had you leveraged AI is equally ethically unresponsible.
1: Yes, and you, um, so, You know, we had a chat before this, but then I've also heard since then had other conversations about this um, similar thing. But you told me about there have been cases where lawyers did not use, refused to use email, and were then sued by clients to get their fees back.
3: Yeah, yeah, and I think there's you, you see all these historical examples where look, as as attorneys, we have to follow the rules, right? If we don't follow the rules and uphold the rules, no one will. So often a precedent has to be set that allows, you know, sort of for us to use new technology in a different way. And it's unfortunate that sometimes it requires basically an attorney being disciplined. Uh, But you saw examples of that with email before, where you have very senior attorneys that had a great relationship with a client, it could be a Fortune 500 client, whatever it is, but as they progressed in their in their career and they refused to use email, whatever, basically the, the quality of their legal services that they provided, no matter how brilliant they are, no matter how great the relationship is, became really, really bad because they weren't using email and the rest of the world was. Uh, You also see the same example with e-discovery, right? Where if you refuse to use e-discovery technology now, but you have a massive client matter involving a lot of discovery, the court is not going to reward all your costs because it's just, it's not keeping up with technology anymore. I mean, you can imagine a similar thing if someone refused to use personal computing, but these were all technologies when they came out that had ethical issues around them and totally valid ethical concerns. But as you address them and as the profession gets more comfortable with them. In fact, sort of the, the onus actually shifts and you're required to use them. And once again, it goes back in a lot of ways to ABA model rule 1.1, but a lot of different state bars have adopted that as well in terms of the duty of technological compliance. And I think we are, we're entering the world where AI is starting to be viewed within those narrow applications, like just doing legal research, just doing doc review. Uh, we're entering a world where AI is viewed in a similar way. And, and you you do, you know, on our end, I, I spend, you know, most of my time per month on the road at different conferences, different events, and I speak with many, many members of the judiciary, and they'll say the same thing of, look, officially this stuff is just starting to enter the mainstream. We're doing pilot projects with different groups, and, you know, we absolutely have judges that use our platform, but there is a feeling that fairly soon it'll move from a, hey, you're using this cutting-edge new technology, which I'm okay with, but walk me through it, to, how are you gonna tell me you spent thirty hours of legal research that you're billing this poor client for when I'm pretty sure if you'd use some of the other tech out there it would have taken you two hours and you also wouldn't have missed that case.
0: Right. This is super fun. So I have another a slightly separate ethics rabbit hole to go down. Yeah, sure. And I don't I was thinking about this and I don't know how much this applies to legal research. So you might say, Yeah, well, I'll be I don't wanna be presumptuous. We'll let I'll kind of take us down the path, and then you can tell us more, being the expert. So it turns out that another thing that is not limited to human beings is bias. And so algorithms are biased. They're biased by the data they take in and a bunch of other things.
1: I love this rabbit hole key. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Talk great
0: Talk to us about the bias of algorithms.
3: Yes. Okay. So I actually just wrote a, uh, a paper on this and I'll... I'll, uh, I'll I did not know it, uh, that. So
0: this was not a softball. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, this is like the, you know, like the, the professor's lecturing on some subject and then like the, the 2L student just came back from summering, you know, like at the United Nations initiative on that exact thing. So, uh, okay. So the issue with bias in AI systems is very real. And the best way to sum it up is garbage in, garbage out. So an AI system, training an AI system learns through a process called machine learning, which means it's able to learn how to do tasks that was not explicitly instructed to do. And that's the power of an AI system is it can learn how to do things that we don't actually know how to explain to do. So a simple example, an infant can easily tell the difference between, uh, I don't know, a dog and a cat, but it's kind of difficult to actually explain how you explain to that infant to do that. And the infant certainly can't explain how it knows. It can just figure it out. Right. Um, and then as, as you grow, you're able to learn how to do increasingly complex things that we actually, as, as humans and as developers on the computer science side, don't actually really know how to explain like to a computer, how to do. So what you Basically, you rely on different methods of, of training an AI system through both supervised learning and unsupervised learning. I won't go too deep into those rabbit holes, that can get really complicated. But basically, just like an infant, if you receive poor mentorship when you're growing up or very poor instruction or training, you're not going to be able to perform the tasks you were trained on well. You're going to have weird theories on them, weird ideas, and weird biases. So, AI at an extremely general level, and I'm going to get beaten up by our engineers for simplifying it this much, but basically AI works the same way. So bias in AI is a reflection of a bias in the training that AI receives. Now let's break that down into like some legal examples. So recently there has been a couple examples of large financial institutions creating their own AI systems to automate business slash legal processes. So there was a, a major American bank, I think as well as Fargo, but I could be wrong on this. So don't quote me on that. But anyways, a couple of years ago, basically what they said is, listen, we have an, a, a huge repository of loan approval forms, loan approval applications, like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them in a bunch of data warehouses, right? We have a huge budget. What if we just had a bunch of people scan these documents, tag them with all the relevant information so you know thomas hamilton applied for a mortgage of this value in this city on this year he has this income he has this number of codependents da, 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 da. and then basically you know we usually we have humans do this stuff but humans have bias in approving loan applications so let's make an ai it'll be perfect and then what ends up happening well lo and behold you trained your ai on loan applications that were evaluated By humans. So you actually, you created an AI system that has all the same biases as your human counterparts. And in fact, is even worse than the human counterparts because it's unaware of the bias. It's just doing the thing you trained it how to do. So that's a very simplistic example of garbage in, garbage out, but it highlights A, the risk of having bad training data. And the importance of having AI systems that just do one thing really well, but leave a human in charge, as opposed to having an AI system that automates an entire process start to finish, like loan applications, because then you get some really, really frightening sort of applications of of the bias. I would say one that moves, you know, it's it's almost like to address the elephant in the room, right? Because there there is these these fears and 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 sort of theories about what AI could do in, in a nightmare situation. One of the things that that is frightening is AI systems for auto sentencing, right, or totally automated dispute resolution based off of training data compiled from decisions in the past. And while on the one hand, that is exciting, that is an attractive idea because the courts are overburdened, uh, A, B, lawyers are very expensive, but if you just had an AI that could do it, then anyone could afford a lawyer. But the problem is that if you trained an AI system to automatically decide the outcome of, of a court decision based off of, say, the last 100 years worth of case law, well, judges have biases as well, right? So once again, you face that garbage in, garbage out issue. And that's why right now we're in the era of that narrow application of AI. It can do one thing extremely well, but then a human has to interpret that information as opposed to the, let's just train the AI. Uh, and it's, you know, it's kind of a black box and it just spits out, you know, guilty, not guilty, maybe kind of guilty.
1: Ooh, the sentencing via AI is definitely needs to be made into some sort of a movie if they don't already have one that does that. Cause, cause that is, that is a little bit scary. Yeah.
0: And I'm not certain. This is, that was great. Uh, I appreciate you, uh, entertaining the this uh, issue because I, I do think it's a big one especially you know even lawyers that might uh, not be ready to cope with the recognition of their own biases they're they're all over this like well there's bias in the algorithms and i'm not smart enough to answer this question but i think a big question is based on what we're doing now and what we know now is it even possible to eliminate the garbage in i don't know
3: yeah, I th- I think that the the garbage in issue will always exist and it it's mitigating like, it. Yeah, exactly. It's mitigating it and it's it's um, being humble about what that constraint means in terms of what you should apply AI to. Right. I guess is sort of how I would describe it because because there's some stuff that it's great for, there's some stuff that it it isn't. And I mean, that's true of any new wave of technology, right? It's it's right up front. It's marketed as, oh my God, I don't know. The internet will change literally everything. And it changed a lot of stuff, but some stuff it didn't change at all, to be honest, right? Or I don't know, the the arrival of rideshare apps will totally change everything. Well, it certainly changed the taxi industry, but didn't change a lot of other things. Um, and I think it's sort of the same with the garbage in, garbage out problem, because it's just sort of an inescapable issue. One of the things I would say that it's been interesting to see, and, and especially, you know, having a number of lawyers on our team is that I think sometimes as lawyers, we fall into the trap of thinking, well, unless this new thing is perfect, I should continue with the status quo, right? which assumes that the status quo must be perfect, or at least so close to perfect, it's not worth switching to the new thing. And like an example that that I would use that always resonates with our engineers when we're training them is like, try doing legal research using Boolean logic right. on a few different search systems. A, you literally won't get the same cases. So that's already bias in there. Right. And that's well-documented. There's tons of research papers on it. Like Susan Neville, had a fantastic paper on that a few years ago. She's a law librarian. So a, you'll see the bias there, but B, I think more importantly, like I don't think if you spend four hours doing Boolean research, you're going to come away from that and say, this is a perfect process that doesn't need to be improved on. Exactly. I think you would say, this is a frustrating process that's very inefficient where I spend a bunch of time on it. I honestly don't actually know if I have the right answer for my client. And so there's a bit of like an opportunity cost fallacy, but that's where, that's on the technologists, that's on the people making the AI software to make the tech really easy to use, really easy to understand. So someone who's used to doing something, even though they know deep down, like, oh, this process kind of sucks. It's not very efficient, but they're used to doing it. They've been trained on it for years. It's, it's on us to make tech that's so easy to use and so good that you still try it and you still like it, even though you've been doing it a different, inefficient way for 20 years.
0: Totally. And, you know, the example that always comes to my mind, too, is people that are like, oh, the autonomous vehicle got in an accident. Shut it down. And it's like, well, <laughs> it's actually doing way better than we do at driving. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So. yeah yes. It's it's totally true, and I think it's it's a funny thing where you know, as as lawyers, someone said this to me once. I was, I was at this legal tech panel a few years ago, and they said, as lawyers, typically what we do is upfront, um, because usually we're the, we're the calm one in the room, we're the very studied one in the room. So when something new pops up, up front we tend to not pay it a ton of attention. But then when we decide to pay it attention, we almost go all the way the other way. Like it's kind of a feast or a famine. And sometimes I think that plays into our our views on technology of, okay, I don't give, you know, I couldn't care at all about AI, whatever to, oh my God, AI is going to change everything and it's going to be so powerful. And then when when it doesn't match that expectation, you almost like discredit it. Self-driving cars is a perfect example. Oh my God, a a person died in a self-driving car car crash. And that's horrible, right? And it's it's, it's a tragedy. But like you said, I mean, how many people, even you just per capita relative number of self-driving cars, like how many Americans die per year because of a human crashing a car?
0: Right.
1: Yeah. I think that's a really important mindset to have is is not the swinging one way or the other but what are the bits of AI that make sense for me to adopt and try out and you know see as they evolve how you can utilize them a little bit more. Definitely. If we have a few more minutes, I did want to know one more question from you, at least that I have, Thomas. And that is, what, as far as kind of legal technology, AI is going now, um, and I'm sure you would probably have started a business um, um, with this if you had like a golden ticket idea, but is there anything as far as AI and how it relates to legal that you think is missing right now? Or are there any areas where AI could come into play over the next year, two years, five years?
3: I think that the biggest thing, like in terms of a, d- a dimension of law overall, I think the biggest thing is access to justice. What we've seen is that four years ago, access to justice groups or pro bono groups, legal aid groups, uh, we're one of the first groups to adopt AI technology because their their mission is really simple, right? Just help as many people in need as possible. And so if you had a tool that could help them do the same job in less time, they're the first to use it. But I think that we've we've seen you, you see a lot of the constraints that those groups face in terms of funding, in terms of staffing. And I think that um, the the next wave of AI, So if it started with like a lot of consumer facing, and now it's a lot of business to business, I think the next one is almost another wave of consumer facing where you have companies that create tech designed to dramatically streamline a legal process, but for a consumer. So like that can basically auto resolve your parking tickets or automatically file your personal bankruptcy. I think that is, uh, we're already starting to see that like in in our network, I think those companies are only gonna kind of continue to grow. From the perspective of a a small and and mid-sized firm, what I think is gonna happen in the next year or two is the, the tools that sort of have been talked about a lot for the last few years are gonna, you're gonna start seeing them spread very quickly away from just the big law firms that were their first users to really starting to like be used just across the country and a lot of different markets and you're going to see some really cool partnerships in the space. Uh, so an, an example on our end is Jack Newton, who's the co-founder and CEO of, of Clio, which is obviously you know, a, a very large sort of successful uh, legal tech company in the space, both in CRM and in terms of legal practice management. Uh, Jack's actually joined our board. So he's been interested in AI from very early on, actually from before even starting Clio. And that's just one example I cite to say that you're going to start seeing these very exciting, cool partnerships between some more established legal technology companies and then some of the AI companies that, I shouldn't say AI companies because the established companies incorporate AI as well, but some of the junior companies that started purely as AI plays that are really good at doing one or two things, you're almost going to see the creation of, of ecosystems of legal technology companies in a way we've never seen before. They're gonna do a really good job at providing kind of a a suite of of different solutions, different technology to use, uh, that's all just designed to help you at every stage of of running your law firm.
1: Guy, I think that might've been a prediction that you have made.
2: Nope.
0: (laughs) No, this is great stuff.
1: Partnerships and collaboration. Yes,
0: no, this is uh, great stuff. I'm glad that you brought that up. I think that's a, a really important point. I have some really hard-hitting questions to ask you as we wrap this up. Lay it on me. All right. Question number <laughs> one.
3: Famous last words. Yeah.
0: Favorite. This is lunch hour. Legal marketing. Favorite <laughs> lunch spots in Ooh. San Fran and Toronto.
3: Okay. Uh, it's the 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 simplest questions are the hardest. Okay. We'll get wait uh, wait
0: for question three. <laughs>
3: <laughs> all right um Toronto okay so when I was in Toronto I was I was doing classic junior attorney hours so I was not straying too far from the office let me think um there was a great spot on Spadina called Hung, which I very heartily recommend if you can get to it if you're right downtown it's like kind of a long walk but it is excellent right by the office Where we? Oh, this is easy, and this is a crowd pleaser. Uh, Toronto street meat, controversial announcement. It is the best street meat I've ever had, and New York City street meat is not good. I don't know what the deal is about that. Toronto Polish sausage street meat, three dollars Canadian, best guilty lunch
0: food. There we go.
3: Uh, San Francisco. San Francisco. San Francisco, I find, has better, cheaper, like healthy lunch food than Toronto, even though San Francisco gets a bad rap for being overpriced, which it does deserve. But it has good, affordable lunch food. I'm looking out my window right now. Where do I typically go? Um, I think Guy's,
1: Guy's hoping for a taco place.
3: Oh, okay. If you got a
1: taco place Easy. in your repertoire.
3: Okay. So <laughs> best tacos, Taqueria Vallarta. Twenty Fourth Street, right across the street from El Farolito, which has the best quesadillas, but best tacos, hands down. Like no, like 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 get out of here if you even try and disagree. Tacos Rivera 275 each, easily the best, still the
0: best. Yes,
1: I've been to the uh, other one, the El Farolito. Yeah. They have a couple locations. Yeah. I think. Yeah.
0: Okay. Thank you for handling that That's one. Question one. two. Do you really wear a hoodie and flip flops to work? Uh,
3: Okay, so I wasn't (laughs) totally sure if last minute you were going to do a fun surprise where, like, you would say we're going to do a video cast because sometimes that happens in my life. So I'm wearing we can (laughs) well if we do, you'll see. I'm wearing a collared, like I guess, collared sweater, and uh, I'm wearing uh, like loafers, like like. Deck shoes, okay. that's as dressed up as I get. And I would say I'm at last week, I was two for five. I think it was Monday and Tuesday, I wore a hoodie. Uh, so it varies. But yes, that, that is a real thing. And to be honest, when I go to our Toronto engineering office, or certainly when I go to the East Coast, I have to like consciously at this point pack a little bit differently, which is weird to say as an attorney. Who, who was used to work meaning a suit and tie every single day?
0: Right. Oh. I was really hoping you were going to say you were, wore a collared hoodie because I've not seen <laughs> that yet. And you might be onto something there.
3: <laughs> I like that. That's a nice move. I, I would say sometimes I do the Patagonia zip up, which for Silicon Valley is sort of the suit, I would say. Okay.
1: That's so the Silicon Valley suit. Yeah. And why that is, that I have up.
3: literally no idea, but it's a thing. And 2019 it's all about the gray patagonia zip up also no idea and the the extra points move is gray patagonia zip up vest it's like sleeveless jacket not sure why yes
1: yeah well because you know your arms get hot right exactly
3: yeah (laughs) the arms get warm i don't know i i I really
0: don't (laughs) this is amazing now question number three yes and uh i have to this is you don't you might not answer this one we might have to talk about this in the future at some point because uh aruda when i asked him this on and asked me anything on reddit i think he's still dodging so you can bring this up with him i, don't, I haven't checked maybe classic aruda. yeah maybe classic aruda. maybe he answered it but i i, I honestly didn't check today <laughs> but i want you to you know you have a lot of smart people over there at ross it's ross intelligence after all
2: and <laughs> Thank
0: you, yes. uh, you can you can ask this around the office too in case you can't uh respond to it right now all right are you familiar with the fermi paradox
3: the fermi paradox i'm I not am, gonna I che- am. i'm not gonna cheat and buy time while i google okay, it Okay. well I'm, i am
0: not uh, familiar perfect so the question is you're not gonna be able to answer it now because so you have to go familiarize yourself and i'll send you the link to the from wait but why to read the question is are we rare are we first or are we effed? And I have to say that, so we don't have to put the explicit lyrics warning on this podcast. And we will come. We will check back in with you at some point in the future to get a response.
3: I really like this, and this is almost like it's almost like uh, that scene in Godfather where you know someday and this day may never come. Yes, this
0: is exactly like. <laughs> what this is.
3: <laughs> at any moment, I could be asked, and who knows who'll ask me? You know, it could be like I just. I'm, I'm, I'm getting my Polish sausage in Toronto. I'm getting my tacos in San Francisco. And someone just looks up and asks me the Fermi paradox again. And then I'll know it was
0: both of you. Yes, you'll be ready though.
3: I will be ready. That's, that's my pledge. If there's one thing I can pledge in this hour, it's I will be ready for when the Fermi paradox person or people ask me the question again, wherever it may be on earth. Or I guess in space too, I should add. Or
0: in cyberspace.
3: Or yes, uh, uh, perhaps most likely in cyberspace. Come to think of it.
0: Thomas <laughs> Hamilton, thank you so much for joining us today and indulging us and educating us.
3: Well, thank you so much for having me. It was uh, it was a real pleasure, and um, always always really fun to talk about this stuff to to folks that are in the space that care about it. And it's it's really just the beginning of what's going to be possible with AI. So anyone who's hearing about this stuff for the first time. Stay tuned, stay interested. Uh, really, the it's never been a more interesting or exciting time, especially for small and mid sized firms in terms of what AI is going to make possible for you. I wish I was starting my legal career right now. I, wish I was just in law school right now because of how much this stuff's going to change our profession for the better.
0: The first person awesome. to say they wish they were in law school in a long time.
3: <laughs> Don't tell that to our law student intern because right. she's about to go into 2L. <laughs>
1: Yes, thank you, Thomas.
0: Best friends forever, I think.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Done. Awesome, and thank you so much to our listeners. Uh, Be sure to like and subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. And thank you so much.
2: Thank you for listening to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing.
0: Today's legal news is
3: rarely as straightforward as the headlines that accompany them. On Lawyer to Lawyer, we provide the legal
0: perspective you need to better understand the current events that shape our society. Join me, Craig Williams, and a wide variety of industry experts as we break down the top stories.
3: Follow Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network or wherever you subscribe to podcasts.